Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined this week by Tom Kennett, and today we're going to be getting into 1996's Primal Fear. I didn't do this, you got to believe me. I don't have to believe you, I don't care. I'm your attorney. What about the truth? The illusion of truth. You can play the game. What do you think he's up to? I honestly don't know. You can unravel the mystery. There was someone else in that room. Who was the third person? You're in dangerous ground here. But you must keep the secret. Richard Gere. Primal Fear. Rated R. Sneak preview Saturday, March 30th at Select Theatres. TK, don't need you to do anything here. Just sit quiet. Don't say anything unless I ask you. I'll keep looking innocent. No one can see, but I'll have to make some reassurances. <laughs> How are we doing today? Good, good. Um, having done a pretty depressing podcast early in the week for me, <laughs> this feels like when a, a football team's got battered and you know they say it's good to get a midweek game to get out your system. Well, that feels like what I'm doing. I I don't want to bring you back down, but um, that's what the Europa League is really perfect for. <laughs> so, I mean, the season we finished eighth under Arteta, from September to December, we got like Dundalk on a Thursday night. Yeah, make, pick you back up. A bit. They gave us a tough first half one of the times <laughs> to the point where the manager was complaining about Arteta's behaviour on the touchline. He came out Jesus. actually, when, when we finished fifth that season, he was like, I'll tell you what, I've never felt this before. I'm glad they came fifth. Because the way he was on the touchline <laughs> that day. He must have said some dark things on that touchline. Um comes to something when I'm seeing this film as an opportunity to pick myself up. Yeah, so then just, yeah. well, those that are uh, in deep with the pod trivia, this, technically this film has been covered before. The, the only ever vaulted episode of the podcast. Yeah. I won't say it was the end of me and Keenan because he may come back soon, but... We had we had some reassessments to do, hence why we're now down to one film a week. So this film was this was the start no of something good. To the film, fair enough. An altar boy is accused of murdering a priest, and the truth is buried several layers deep. I liked this the first time I watched it. I liked it more the second time oh, really? I watched it. Yeah. Okay. Which I was unsure of yeah. because we've spoken before, and of all the films with a twist, to be fair. Den of Thieves is the one I think we spoke about it on when we did the podcast that seeing the clues when you go back through is very cool and we did one recently oh, I can't think what it was but this one I was interested because sometimes when you go on the way back through okay Shutter Island was one that was the one that yes and yeah. that one they've made it quite rewarding for a rewatch because they do drop a lot of things in so the second time is maybe more rewarding than the first time where you're so caught up yeah, agreed. This, you get sometimes there's a film with a twist where it actually just kind of falls apart because it's like, that was cool at the time, but it makes no sense now that now that you've yeah. done that. It or was just, cool just one and done, like, look, yeah. that's never going to be the same. This, I, I liked. I could see a few moments where I could say, okay, you were setting something up there, but it wasn't the case of the whole film. I'll just check it out now that we've done this. 
I said it when Troy was on a fortnight ago. I said it when Goth was on this week. I sent you basically a long old list and said, any film you want to do on this list and we do it. You're back next week, actually. So it's a busy and then it's transfer deadline day the week after. So it's double pod week for the next however long for you as well as me. And next week is one that we're very excited about doing. Sean should be back on next week as well, but you never do know of him. Yeah, you were excited to do this one. You said it's one of your favourite films. Yeah, yeah, I love the film. Um, I knew you'd gone to touch on it previously and then and then not done it, so I thought it'd be a good one to put on. Um, and I hadn't watched it in a little while, so I was curious to know how it would be on, on the rewatch. So the critics' reviews, what do you think they thought of this? Loved it, surely. I feel, I'm, that I love Norton, <laughs> that I love gear. And around this time period... A film of a twist, they're going to be all over. Yeah, I, I've watched a lot of Richard Gere interviews and in the last week, not just in general. Big Richard Gere fan yeah. of here. Something I thought was interesting and, and the way it was received then, he he says in multiple when they're like, you know, you're doing this now, it must be nice. And he's like, prior to what you think, I actually hate sitting here and talking in front of cameras, basically. But I think because he is such a charming guy, he kind of gets away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's one I was watching and he's being interviewed by an older woman, which you don't see as much anymore, to be fair. She was probably late 50s. And she's commenting on, you know, you look like a girl, you like your Armani's. And he looks quite awkward because he's he's essentially saying he likes the simple things in life. And she's saying, well, come on. Come on, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And... He says, I mean, I like Armani. I'm I'm happy with them sending me free things, but what are you wearing? And she says, like, well, I I couldn't even tell you. And he says, come on, I'll check the label. (laughs) And she's like laughing it off, but... Sticks it on her. Yeah, I've not seen as many of his films as perhaps I should have. I'm not not a pretty woman guy, but... Hey, I think you would be. It's a good film. Well, I can... You like a rom-com and that's... Yes, I keep putting off watching There's Something About Mary because I've not seen it before, but it's oh. been spoken up to such a height that I'm just questioning whether it can possibly deliver. Do enjoy that. It's a little bit different, but it's funny. Maybe I'll do it tonight. I've updated my watch list now that I've seen you can do that on Letterboxd. So now I've got the posters kind of staring back at me. Did finally watch um, Colour of Money last night. Enjoy? Yes, but I didn't love it. Yeah. I haven't seen the one before. I didn't know it was a sequel until... Yeah. Keenan said to me. Yeah, probably. I don't, I don't know. I've not watched it in a little while. Maybe maybe it's a bit dated now. It's late 80s. I, I basically wanted more Paul. Right, right. And then there's this weird thing with Paul Newman and uh, Tom Cruise's girlfriend that yeah. is just kind of there and it's like <laughs> yeah, he yeah. has a weird scene. but And then yeah. Tom Cruise just kicks it up every so often, doesn't he? Sort of like... Yeah, well, we spoke and I, I may have said this to Goff last week. I'm all in after seeing some of these older Cruise ones. So I'm going to be... Jerry Maguire is the next one I'm going to watch because oh, I've not seen that before. Absolutely treat. Um, on the critics' views. Ed Norton is out of this world in his breakout performance. What a debut. Yeah. Exhibits many of the genre's common weaknesses, but the fine acting of Edward Norton, Laura Linney and Richard Gere enables us to forgive them. The plot is engaging, the cast is exceptional, and Hoblet moves things along in commendably straightforward fashion. Very entertaining. 
Primal Fear possesses a good deal of surface charm, but the story relies on an overload of tangential subplots to keep it looking busy. And the best performance of Richard Gere's career, and Laura Linney deserves great credit for rising above what otherwise might have been a stock character. I've mixed it up there. I could have given you five. Oh my God, Ed Norton. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this sure. is unbelievable. I'm sure, yeah. Cinema, I guess in for the whole time, really has gone through phases. And for crime films, we get waves of police films, PIs, lawyer ones too. And I saw Roger Ebert describe it at the time as they say that we were in the Grisham era here. And right. we're getting a lot of these courtroom dramas. Is there a courtroom drama that stands out for you as one you particularly like? This would have been one of my uh, yeah. This would have been one of the answers. Um, obviously, if you get men's pretty much the uh, sort of the gold standard, isn't it? Around this time, we're what just over a year, maybe two years removed from the OJ Simpson case as well. So I imagine that's probably leading into someone around this point is going. We're doing a courtroom film. Yeah, I read an article and they say they they think the reason why we don't get so many now is. Um, we're so overloaded with true crime podcasts, true crime documentaries that there's so much real life crazy things out there that we don't really need to see. Very, yeah, yeah, true. Like this. And it's kind of it's been done. How many tropes can you explore? And it very much, like a lot of things, falls into a TV series now rather than a film, doesn't it? Law yeah. and order, that type of thing. Yeah, I've been in a bit of a when I looked back courtroom phase at the moment like I watched A Few Good Men the other week um, I watched Michael Clayton recently which I think I recommended to you hmm. George Clooney would be great in this film by the way that was my main takeaway after I thought about Michael Clayton earlier a lot of comparisons really with him and Gear in terms of a leading man who has been in some good stuff but probably gets almost disrespected for being handsome basically because they're sort of like how good an actor are they or is it just you're a good looking guy who's charismatic in a lead role we might be going kind of uh, further down the road with that style, but he's kind of, he doesn't have range as far as I've seen. He's a guy that plays Richard Gere or George Clooney plays George Clooney and cool, handsome guy. And Statham basically says, I was picked off the street because I just looked like someone that would be in and around the area. I don't, so why would you cast me as anything else other than that? Yeah, yeah. And Gia does that. Well, in fact, he, he ramps it up a bit here because he knows that's what you're wanting to see. So there's there's a, there's a skill to that. He picks his parts well, obviously. Um, as you say, I was looking through his IMDb. A lot that, at least for me, would be forgettable. But I found I've not even heard of them. But then some bangers. Like, he, he knows it hit clearly when when he sees one as well. Yeah, a few good men I watched here that Michael Clayton. I was thinking about Sleepers the other day. I don't know if you've yeah, seen yeah, yeah. that. Long two and a half hours that. And very depressing, it. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Incredibly yeah. depressing. And the funny thing with that is, this film, I think when you know about, um, obviously Aaron being an altar boy and all that, I think you kind of, uh, you feel that it's going down that road that they go in with sleepers being, oh God, something awful happened to this guy, to those boys in that case. And immediately, I think you're on side with him in so- to some level the same as you are with the characters in that film, which again, the first time you watch it, it really adds to the twist. We get a lot more of that now, don't we? The kind of priest and that. that yeah, I mean, of- it's, it's hilarious in this film, isn't it? I mean, 
when they're sort of like, are you suggesting the Archbishop <laughs> would have done this? Look, I know we're a little bit removed from that, but it's the mid-90s still. We, you we, know, did, we, we did still would have had a bit of an idea about the Catholic Church well, already. One of the first point. ones Kieran Dillon here was Spotlight, and that again is oh, where they're all like, yeah, the church? Yeah. You're telling yeah. me the church? Um, I'm always recommending the night of to people. That fits in with what you said about the TV series version of it. Um, mm. I was chatting to Sean, I think it was, about Dark Waters recently. I watched Love and Death recently, which I don't know if I said to you about it's a true story about Candy Montgomery is the the name of the the woman. She basically she killed a friend in the neighborhood after having an affair with he, her husband. Oh god. And the whole thing was this is this woman's never been violent at all in her life. What could have prompted this and the gist of the story I won't give away the ending despite it being a true story is um she was dealing with some past trauma that acted as like a trigger. And so the debate was, it was almost like an out-of-body experience for her. So can she be to blame for something that she had no control over? Right. And this is in, I think, 70s, 80s. So, and that plays out. They get the first half and they quite cleverly don't give you the grisly murder scene until the last episode. And you go through the courts and much like- uh, That's a series, you say? Yeah. It's like four episodes long, I think. What's it's an HBO called? one. What's it called? Love and Death. Elizabeth okay. Olsen. And the, the main thing, that so you may have seen some of this on your timeline, Jesse Plemons is in it and he plays the guy that she sleeps with. Of course he does. And <laughs> all the people online are saying, "How? why would you cast him? He could never get a woman like that when he's literally married to Kirsten yeah. Dunst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a thing that's pointed out, but he's very good in it. As, yeah, of as course well. he is. I found out about it because I listened to... Um, I stumbled upon a podcast that was basically about uh, female killers. And this was a two-parter on there. And uh, yeah, they referenced that it's been done a couple of times. It was done twice, one HBO and one the Hulu. And the HBO one is Elizabeth Olsen. So she's basically saying it's so good to get away from the like Marvel monster and do some acting for a change, basically. Um, Casting Aaron, Ed Norton was among... 2,100 actors auditioned for the role of Aaron Stampler. They say this was widely seen by everyone in and around the business as being like a career-making role if it was done properly. Matt Damon said that he chased the role desperately and he just missed out on Dead Poet Society. He's passed over again here. He and Ben Affleck basically say no one is going to give us a chance. So they go away and write Good Will Hunting. (laughs) But there's a... There's a thing for everybody. Yeah, there's a thing with Damon and he basically says about going to interviews and uh, auditions and if he saw Ed Norton, he was like, I'm fucked. It's not my day. Yeah. (laughs) And you can go through, I won't do it all here, some of the pathways they've left open for each other to tee up supports now the, the insane careers that they've had. There aren't many of their films that you could go, they should have swapped over there. No. I wonder if at the time, so say, when's Good War Hunting? 97, so a year later. In 97, I wondered if you'd have to take bets on who would have the better career out of Damon and Norton, who you'd have put your money on. I think you'd have put it all on Norton. I think you'd have, especially, you'd have looked at this and you'd have gone, here's just the scale where he can go, I just think is so much greater than Damon, who's great himself, but... 
I think at that point you'd go within Norton could do everything. Within the first three years of Norton's career, he did Primal Fear, American History X, Rounders and Fight Club. Yeah, that's good going. He's got one in between, The People vs. Larry Flint, which I've not seen, but that's very highly rated as well. That, right. that, that's the first one after Primal Fear, and then he rips off American History X, Rounders, Fight Club, back to back to back. That's He's just, madness. And we'll, we'll speak about him in a second. Casting the role of Aaron slash Roy, which one are we going to go with for the most part here? Oh, he's Aaron for most of his okay. so... Richard Gere nearly left the project because it just took so long. And he acknowledged, well, if we don't get the right Aaron, then this whole thing doesn't work. Ass, yeah. There's some there's some changes to the script that he had to make, which I'll get into later. But he was very big. When he saw the screenplay, and it wasn't always like this, the thing he wanted to act out was the relationship with the lawyer and the boy. Mm. And it wasn't always focused that way, which you can maybe you'll work out which way it goes. Yeah, the, my only outside trivia knowledge coming in was that one, there was like loads of rewriting going on, and two, that I think I said to you prior to when you first watched it that Gear insisted on he has to lose essentially yeah. that the, the boy has to win, which is a big move for someone of his star power going in. I don't see many of his sort of caliber would have gone, yeah, I've got to be the guy with egg on my face at the end of it. Well, I don't, I don't know if you... he was insistent on it. It's yeah. telling. I don't know if you'll have read up on this before. There was an issue on one of the later Fast and Furious films that you had The Rock, Vin Diesel, and Jason Statham in the three-way fight. All three of them had a clause in their contract that they can't lose a fight. <laughs> and so... That's so good. A literal earthquake has to appear to separate them for no reason because neither of them can lose. I hadn't realised that. Yeah. Fly me. And I mean, I knew it'd be something along those lines. This was a that, cause that of some in, of the, the beef contract. with Vin Diesel and The Rock. That yeah. Vin Diesel's kind of like, this is my franchise and The Rock's like, what? I'm, I'm The Rock. rock. Yeah. 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 And they put some things to the side to, to get back on it. But DiCaprio turns this down. And he says the script wasn't what it was in the end. Yeah. But I, there's an interview with Norton and he did like every podcast in the world a couple of years ago. And basically all of them are like, this new film you're promoting, cool, but let's talk about- All your other films, yeah, yeah. These couple of films. And he says the real thrill of it was, even if you'd cast Leo there, fantastic actor, there's some baggage that comes attached to him. He said- you have no idea what to expect with me. Nothing yeah. at all. And you can only get that once. Yeah. And he said, this was the perfect film to do it on because say seven is maybe a good example. Kevin Spacey turns up out of nowhere, but there's all maybe more so now there's already a certain something attached to him that, mm, so maybe not so good. Maybe that's not the best example. Oh, maybe a better well, example of that. that they don't. Pacino in The Godfather. Is lit- that's, they're literally going Cobra's having to fight to get him on because Paramount no we need a star and he's like no 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 we need this guy he's apart from being money also he does, again doesn't have the attachments coming in like you said so with Seven Spacey they don't include him in any of the promotional work because they're like as soon as people see this they're just going to know it okay they're the detectives he's obviously the killer Kevin Spacey in it yeah and so he loves yeah, yeah. it because he doesn't have to do any promotional work mm. because he just gets left out of everything yeah you don't get that now now you know Oppenheimer it was like 10 tweets every week of 
so-and-so is now attached. So-and-so is now attached. And I thought that film was going to be a mess because of how many people I was seeing sure. attached to it. You just couldn't keep these things a secret. And you knew they dropped the bomb. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Pedro Pascal stated in an interview that his first ever audition was for the role of Aaron Stampler. But yeah, <laughs> he clarified afterwards, like, this isn't somewhere I say, you know, I nearly got it. Like, no, I didn't come close. Just that was the first audition I ever How went for. How high up in that 2,100 people did he get, I wonder? Well, no one said he wasn't even going to go for it. There was someone in the industry, like, I forget her name. She was an, an actress who was doing, like, indie work, who basically said, I feel like this part is made for you. You have to go and try for it. He owes it all to her. Yeah. And he owes everything to that woman. So his motion picture debut, he wins the Oscar here for Best Supporting Actor. Two other characters he's done with multi-personality disorder, Fight Club and The Incredible Hulk, in which is where his career <laughs> takes a bit of a turn. <laughs> it's, the direct, it's the directorial debut of Gregory Hoblet for this as well. So there's a lot of things... It feels disrespectful to say he's kind of a steady hand for a lot of this. There's some nice things that he does, but even like the chase, which we'll get onto, he doesn't do anything OTT with that. He just lets it breathe. You get almost like the new style aerial shots of it. Yeah, it also doesn't... The One of the critics reviews basically saying that it's... I think they did they refer to it as simple. I mean, it's, it seems a little bit yeah. harsh, but it's, it's a kind of... It's a fairly linear story, isn't it? You're not going all over the place. Um... Yeah, I think he that's probably smart. In fact, the stuff with like when they kind of go extracurricular with the Pinero stuff feels really like a pointless aside. You go, <laughs> you just want as much sort of a uh, gear and iron together as you can get. And kind of everything else is like, oh, why are they doing that? Okay, yeah, it's sort of filling it out a little bit. Part of it is as well keeping it as simple as they do, which I agree feels disrespectful, but I think it's right keep it as simple as possible and then the twist hits so much harder because it, there's no building up to it. There's no suggestion to it. We see in some, so say in the usual whodunit, they'll build it up. It's going to be this guy. We get to the point where they go, aha, and then it wasn't him. It was someone else. They're not yeah. really doing that here. In fact, we don't really care who the killer is for most of it. No. I think doing it now as well, they would have given you too much Aaron and Roy you'd have seen too many glimpses of it where you would have started to go, is he putting this on? Is it legit? Whereas you get just the right, they sort of cook it just enough where you, you kind of are Marty in this where you like halfway through the film, he's yelling at his colleagues that I believe this guy. Yeah. And you're sort of going, oh, maybe I'm buying into this as well. I can't really explain why, but maybe I am. I don't want to do too much on the actual twist now, but Norton says something that, he's loved since he was younger is uh, when you're as surprised as the main character with yeah. the twist like it's not you see it and it's kind of unbeknownst and, to them or whatever and the main character catches up 20 yeah. minutes later yeah. and he said like you find out at the exact same time as Marty in this and that just makes I mean, it, it so much better the beauty of it is is basically in real time as well because when he walks out and then just sort of comprehends what he's just said I mean you the viewer are probably five or ten seconds ahead of it because I think as soon as he says it I'm going oh hang on and Rudy just walks out and he, he has that slight delay but it's obviously because he's got it at dramatic purposes well, I think that's better as well they give you a slight moment because everyone will have what well, I assume so there's a split second where I go ah like, yeah. now he's going to say it and I feel like I'm a s- step ahead 
really everyone's discovered it at the exact same time. Yeah. But they give you the put, they get, let you feel clever. Then he stops and then he does the Columbo, like, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But And part of it is to humiliate Richard Gere's character as well. Like, they are trying to dog this guy and laugh because of, they spend the bulk of the film trying to point out that he's a scumbag. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to get to next. The kind of layering of Martin Vale. The poster for Primal Fear is Gear standing, staring off into distance. And me and Troy spoke about this with Rambo. We're at a time where we still get taglines on posters, which are like... Yeah, so good. The Rambo one was far snappier. It's this time he's fighting back, which plays on him as Rocky, which is even better because yeah, that's what they're doing with it. This one... There's a time where having baggage coming in works. Right? Yeah. You know the Scarface one is quite long where it's like, he came here in this time and so on. Yeah, yeah. This one says, sooner or later, a man who wears two faces forgets which one is real with zero punctuation. And right from the jump, marketing material when used right to build a certain picture in your mind and we spoke about with A Quiet Place that sales for popcorn went down because it had been drilled into people that you cannot make a noise with what is watching this film. And you knew that before you sat down and then the first three seconds of the film, you know it. With this, it's already building a subconscious view that, okay, Richard Gere's character's two-faced, which he is, but we don't know there's two characters like that going along at the same time. So right from the poster there, they're building things up for you. Yeah, and it's kind of the... Sort of how sort of duplicious he is is referenced throughout. Obviously, he does like his little spiel about the truth at the start of it, and essentially he says like the truth isn't really important. Yeah, I'm. I can basically determine what the truth is, and I don't need to know, and I need to sell it to you. It's kind of, I guess, a bit of a comment on sort of capitalism as well, where it's sort of he's basically giving you this shiny thing. What's really the reality doesn't matter. Also, the same thing they do with the Archbishop as well, where. The, that whole point of Aaron having underlined the part in the book is to say, on the surface of it, this archbishop is supposed to be an honourable mention, a sort of respected member of the community, but behind the scenes, look what he's doing. So you're thinking that about him, you're thinking that about Gear, but really the whole thing is really that Aaron and Roy are two are two faced, but they kind of lead you up the garden path to try and make you. Yeah, I don't know if dislike's the right word, but view the people in authority in a certain way and meanwhile this guy's actually pulling all the strings he's actually in charge of this yeah I used to fry Keenan's brain and ask him what's the message that you take from this film or what's the underlying whatever they make sure there's zero zero subtleties in this and I think it is just so we don't question anything and just keep us away from from Aaron like how can your first lines in a film be, you want justice, go to a whorehouse, you want to get fucked, go to a courtroom? And he says something, he says something. That's a banger, though, isn't it? Yeah, he says something after which I thought was better. And he says something like, uh, the day I passed the bar or the day I became a lawyer, every time I'm, every time your mother says she loves you, be sure to get a second opinion or something like that. Yes, yeah. And yeah, as you say, he tells us in the same scene that he doesn't care about guilt. Um, every time I think he, he starts to charm us, and he does do that a lot, they quickly remind us that he's a sleazy lawyer. Like at the start of the film where he kisses Venable on the back of the neck, he starts working his moves. He's just grinning down the camera. 
and it's still he's still just as charm what 27 years later the thing with him is they obviously know we've got richard gear here so we're gonna have to keep trying to hammer home this guy's a slime <laughs> yeah. because yeah because he doesn't really convince as a bastard so you really do have to work hard to make the audience dislike the guy i, I mean we're just getting ahead my favorite quotes in uh in the film was him saying, first thing I ask a new client yeah. is, have you been saving up for a rainy day? Guess what? It's rainy. Yeah, so good. Why gamble with money where you can gamble with people's lives, which he quickly says that was a joke. But right away through- absolutely it, isn't a joke. No, every it's time how he, feels. he gets you on side, they do. They just drop a line like that in to just say, hang on a minute, just remember who you're dealing with here. And the fact that he says about- why he does it is basically to gamble with people's lives. That's the only thrill basically he can get. Yeah. Says it's a joke, which transparently isn't. And then does his little speech about how he believes in innocent until proven guilty, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're like, that all sounds really good, but I just don't believe it coming from you no. at all. Well, he complains about people thinking he's creepy because he's always next to creepy people. And <laughs> maybe then he, he counters it, as you said, like I believe in the notion that people are innocent and, I choose to believe the basic goodness in people. I understand that some very, very good people do some very bad things, which is, I guess, how we're supposed to think he feels about Aaron. And it's that's what you think is going to be the message of this film, is, is the best thing, is that they kind of give you this point of, look, okay, this guy has killed someone, but look what's happened to him. Look, this can, that's what the end's justified means. You think it's going to be that type of film. That's why the... The twist in this one so emphatic and that it basically changes the genre of the film. Yeah. It changes the entire thing on, on a on a dime. Him walking through that benefit at the start is great. Uh, I've used the analogy before, but it, it's like in a TV show where the character gets cool clothes and he walks down the school corridor for the first time and he's snapping his fingers <laughs> and going, hey, and he's like saying, hey, and nodding at people. Everyone knows his name. They build him up very well, very quickly. Dare I say, if George Clooney turns down the part, Charlie Sheen in his heyday, get him in this role. Yeah. Let's talk about. I think the- he played a slime ball more yeah. convincingly as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. Let's talk about the priest getting iced and the uh, great escape afterwards. The director taking us to the church benefit, the choir performing, and somehow he makes that feel really eerie Seriously, anyway yeah. is, is a nice way to start. Atmosphere is created without anything there i don't even know why we know it's bad but it we just kind of know it's bad yeah 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 you are right whether it's the sort of the music uh, sort of backdrop it is a little bit i guess eerie maybe that's partly to do with it but. the archbishop getting dealt with is interesting like it's gory for the time maybe his peripheral vision could have done some work because i don't know how he gets stuck <laughs> up on quite in the way that he does like you see him look around the whole room and then suddenly it's just in his face Man of a certain age maybe the eyes are going yeah the escape is really good, as we said. I do love the escape in front of a train. Like, yes. Foolproof plan. 99% of criminals must just be foiled by the train being delayed. Like, that train isn't there. <laughs> Where are, are you? I do, what do you know? Of all the day for rail strikes, they had, I was on the run. And it, it sets up that great scene where Vale is explaining the case and they're all kind of flinching at every detail. Where Vale's saying, like, no, you said that. I said the ring was in his pocket. Again, he's doing the the lawyer thing. Later in one of their little group meetings, by the way, when he's cursing his team and saying, hey, man, I'm running a third-man defense here and we've got no third man. <laughs> he chose that defense yeah, to go yeah. with. 
<laughs> and he's sticking it on his mate. Going, what have you not found this guy? Sure they all said this is a stupid defence, <laughs> and yet when it's not working, he's like, "Why haven't you made this work for me?" Yeah, we got a lot of classic lawyer bits in here. When he takes, um, when Lenny's in the bar, and he's like, "You know, I only have to convince one juror, one juror his age, that innocent face." Do you want to say anything about the first meeting that they have when they come together? Because he's very, that's maybe the slimiest he is in the whole film when he's introducing himself. What's he the, most, the most transparent, isn't it? I am what you would call a hotshot lawyer. I think he says something like that. That is what you mean, is, is on the nose as you're getting, where they're like, we've done this stuff where we're showing you he's a hotshot lawyer and now we're going to make him actually say the terms hotshot lawyer. Or big shot lawyer or whatever it he, is. Because he, he takes on a case, doesn't he, that everyone says that he's just going to take take the plea, basically. And Linny says, have you sold the book rights already or are you going to do that later? Yeah. And then Aaron, well, our, our first meeting with him, the stutter coming out, which was Norton's idea, by the way. Oh, that, bloody hell. That wasn't in there. So Norton said he needed a way to set himself apart in the audition. He does the audition tape, he comes in. He says that audition tape carried on getting in roles after this film. He said it was the stuff of legend, the tape that he did for this film. Oh. He goes in there, does this, and they're like, that's, that's the guy. And we'll speak about the, the transition from Aaron to Roy in a bit because I don't know how they would have done it otherwise. No. Um, I mean, as much as you, you know, it's laid on pretty thick that Marty likes the publicity or whatever, does a big shot lawyer see this on TV go down there immediately and agree, <laughs> I'm going to do this free of charge or for some publicity. It seems mad. I mean, he does. I know we've got it for the sake of a film, but it's just like, what? I'm not saying the guy loves attention, but he's still meeting up with the journalist after the article has come out. We, he's hand, <laughs> Venable hands him a copy of the magazine when they come out of the courtroom. And for some reason, they're in the bar afterwards. And yeah. that's when he's telling him, when he's drunk and saying, you know, this is why I do it. And so I don't know why why the journalist is still there. And then tells him, this isn't going on the record, by the way. So you've just told him a load of absolute gold here about how much of a scumbag you are. Yeah. This is going on the record. You, you've mentioned it a bit because I was going to ask you about the little kind of side missions he has. I thought on first viewing, the journalist's article was going to make Vale question the way everyone else sees him. I thought the article was going to come out kind of like the the rap the real life rap pack one that we did, yes. uh, rap pack, sorry. And they were going to go, oh, okay, people do see me as this sleaze ball and everything else that we see afterwards. But no, he's just, I'm going to be the cover, aren't I? And it's just this lovely writer of <laughs> what a big shot he is. Yeah, it did feel like a bit of an aside, didn't it? Just to really demonstrate to us how bothered he is about publicity and that sort of yeah, thing. We probably didn't need him after the first scene. The first scene is him saying, you know, it's a cover story. He gets his quotables out. Probably don't need him after that. No. He's a very unassuming character as well. I couldn't even picture his face now and I watched the film two days ago. It's <laughs> a good point, yeah. Whereas you look then at the scenes with Laura Linney and they're about as good as they can be. Like, She's very interesting. I do still struggle to get past her being Wendy and Ozark because I really hate really? that character. Yeah. They, um, she does a good job because that character could be quite annoying if not. And also, they've got genuinely good chemistry between them. Right? It's believable that they kind of once had a thing, but also that they kind of despise each other. They get also cast that again together a couple of years later as well. Yeah. Okay. And they, uh, 
they're also a really good mirror of each other because they're both just so egotistical. Like this is just basically like a game between them at times. And it's all like this kid is kind of a side note and she's saying she's like doing it for the state. He's saying he's looking after this kid and it's really just a game between them. It's just their own private board game. Yeah, she's supposed to be a bit of a like foil for him. So she says at the start, uh, you know, you're not used to being with a woman with a brain. And then she makes so like some weird analogy about him liking it from behind at the start of the film. Like, I thought you, I thought you preferred it this way. You don't have to see the face, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we talk about her smoking? Every single second of this film, she lights up in the courtroom. Constantly... <laughs> looking doing it in places where even then you're not going to be able to smoke and then looking shocked when she's told she can't like presumably you've done this a few times love and she's like in the judge's office like you can't smoke in here what and she still does actually her first line in the film she says i'm quitting by the way no he says i thought you were quitting and she's i'm cutting down so what the hell was she like before yeah yeah this was also a time when they made women smoke to make them seem hotter. So I don't know if that was like the whole thing going through it. Mm, maybe. I'm not really sure that's, that's then, happening there. I saw a, the internet went nuts recently because um, General Tager was seen smoking and Twitter went absolutely insane. Tell her not to. <laughs> no, about how incredible she looks with a cigarette, basically. This is, this is, this is still oh, clearly... Well, the end, what was it at the end of Greece, they do all their makeup everything and they are there smoking because yeah. it's like look how cool she is <laughs> and yeah. yeah her in this film is 24-7 she yeah she's a good balancer the scenes she does the pressure that's being put on her by the bosses I think if that was um, a man in that role I don't think it works as well but she oh, no, plays no, no. it as like a strong character while doing it. She sticks it to the people above her a couple of times. She gets played. And I think she's really the best example because I don't think we're supposed to see it that Vale is trying to manipulate Aaron. In fact, this this the first person he lets his guard down for and he gets burnt. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the whole way through it, he is still manipulating Venable, despite the fact they're supposed to have he's, this thing. Yeah. He cares for her. He is playing her throughout. Yeah. You feel, so like, I think the situation that. with the tape. Yeah. Like he's, she's just constantly in her fingers. Like, is he bluffing or double bluffing me? Does he want me to use it? Does he not want me to use it? He's just got her on strings. Even the sort of thing of he probably wants to take a plea and not go into the trial. But even then, like you said, he's telling her, look, all I've got to do is convince one juror. And he said, well, look, if you fuck this up, this is supposed to be a, an open goal. If you fuck this up, you're going to be sacked. And so it's constantly, I mean, why she gives him the time of day, really? Because I know <laughs> there's supposed to be a bit of cat and mouse, a bit back yeah. and forth. But he is literally just like ruining her that life. smile. That, he's, a, he's a charmer. <laughs> when, when, when doing the Googling, there is people debating about her going into the bar and saying the usual and it's just a beer, basically. There's no extravagant drink that she's got there. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. That's so I think it was on the rewatchables they mentioned that as well, which uh, I didn't know we were doing this at the time. Uh, yeah, the, the interview with Richard Gere, one of them that I watched, he said he gets the screenplay three years prior to filming and he was drawn to the relationship between Vale and Stampler, but all the script wanted to focus on was the relationship between Vale and Venable and they basically wanted to make this this will they won't they 
he's trying to get the better of her, but they still want to be together and all of this stuff. And he said, that makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Why it's is not this a the thing? interesting part of the story? And is that's it? what he tells them. So they go away, they rewrite it. Well, it is an interesting part. It's just the second most interesting yeah. part. The, the main, quite clearly, the main menu is what it is. Yeah, he made them rewrite it multiple times. He said they he kind of put them through their paces. There's one of the interviews. They say, you know, you turn down Pretty Woman four times. You turn down this however many times. How many times do you turn this down? And he's asking off camera for permission to say how many times he turned it down and to tell the story. And he gets a bit of a look clearly because he's like, there's some I can tell you, this wasn't what I wanted to focus on. This was an enjoyable part of it, but and yeah, it works for the better in the end. Clearly he knew what he was talking about. Hmm. Do you like the parts with the mob as much as they are a bit of a, a side mission as I described it? <sighs> Because of the there's familiar faces in there, that probably adds to some of the fun a little bit. And I guess it does just to really hammer home that he's a scumbag is that he's basically in with them, isn't he? And they all like him immediately yeah. and, and I mean, he's able to talk to them in a way that's like, I'm not sure he's gonna be able to talk to these guys like that. They're gonna go, Fucking you're a lawyer, get back in your yeah, he get says, back in your box. He says one, doesn't he, where he basically he has to like leave. Yeah, and he, he says, says something, he says, like, I don't give a fuck what you think. He says something like that, yeah. and they say, let's take a walk outside. Everybody in the bar would suddenly go quiet and go, hang on a minute. But then also the way they spin it in this, the mob are standing up to the real bad guys here. He wants he wants a hospital built and he won't back down his, his, his real stance here. <laughs> he points towards it, I got my first kiss in there, I got her pregnant too. And they're like, hey. <laughs> Seeing Stephen Bauer in that and then... Uh, the actress that plays Gina in The Colour of Money. Cause I, like, I recognise you and I can't think where I recognise you from. Mm. And so, yeah, they're reunited on my screen uh, mere days apart. If this was a TV show, then they probably would have fleshed out that storyline more. They'd lead you like right to the point where he thinks he's got Shaughnessy, where he has the scene where he's like, do not fuck with me, Marty. And then he thinks he's got him pinned. And then probably after their meeting in the Chinese, he'd rush to tell Aaron the news. You know, all these people wanted him dead. And then he'd meet Roy for the first time would be the way that they would do it. Yeah, yeah, true. I took this, and I've used this before on, on the podcast, um, another old Ebert review. And he, he says, the best crime movies and novels are not about who did it or why. They're about how the characters feel about what happened. And they do a good job here of, Everyone cares. Everyone cares for a very different reason. Because as much as it is, you're pretty sure it's Aaron that's done it. Yeah. But there is still some doubt the first time around. But then I also don't really remember caring about who it was. It was more about everything else that was going on. Yeah. Not in the same way I would usually be with like a whodunit, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do a very good job of making it clear this isn't a whodunit, don't they? They never sort of even begin to set you down that path I don't think because apart from anything even if you think if you for whatever reason have a doubt and I think they do a good job of again making you like Marty where you go well, it's got to be him hasn't it but you go oh, I guess you you could have a bit of doubt even if you're not sure you don't really have an alternative explanation again no. there's no third man or whatever you can't really explain it but they do sow seeds of doubt in your mind there isn't really a wasted character in the film Everyone's story gets wrapped up. Everyone has a purpose for being there. If it's just showing the kind of guy that Marty is, if it's mm. you know, the psychologist coming in, if it's this, 
there's no one really that has an unfinished role is just there as kind of a bit of an extra everyone gets some everyone is interlinked in some way his team he works with I guess is a little bit yeah the investigator is hilarious I'm sure we'll get into his character yeah but that's second courtroom drama we've done with Mauritania involved can you remember the first you were on the episode shit was I what was this liar liar She's Jim, she's Jim Carrey's missus in uh, Liar Liar. We get to Roy eventually, and quite honestly, I, I would be in that whole part where they track down the other altar boy. If you could take 10 minutes off the film, that would be what I would do, because that kind of standoff where all the other homeless people reside and it's lit by the flame and the shadows are up on the wall, I thought that looked a bit cheap the first time I saw it and didn't really do place. a lot more. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it. It felt, um, yeah, just it just felt off compared to the rest of the film. It just. I think you would have probably maybe also thought this guy might have a more prominent role now. Yeah. And now it's just called. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe not. Yeah, that that first time we meet Roy with that beeping on the camera, and he hits us with that. Well, how the fuck should I know? <laughs> I love that. It's just that brief, isn't it? I mean. So I was rubbing his head afterwards. Norton's just entire face changes. Yeah. Just that split second. It's if that was like the first bit they saw whilst filming of him doing it, because obviously I don't know what order they did. That must have been one of those where like you just turn around and look next to you, like I don't know, like the Rooney goal against Arsenal or something, where you just go, Fuck, we got something yeah. here, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, the stammer he says he did it to stand out. I don't know how you would have transitioned between the characters or how it would have worked so seamlessly without it. It's a good point, but then first time he attacks Marty and then goes back to being Aaron, he does an incredible job of just like the physical acting of basically looking like two different men. He looks genuinely bigger as Roy. And so he does an incredible job of... And obviously he's doing it for the benefit of my and then psychologist who he knows is coming back into the room he knows he's now got two people independently witness this guy basically two different people entirely how he does it and again the stammer doesn't really come into it at that point because he doesn't speak is really impressive I think the best thing is that at the end of the film he's almost able to find a Aaron point five because you can see then he's been ramping it up because he, the way he stands at the end of the film when he's I've won is completely different to how he is as you say in this scene and he doesn't have to be as outrageously over the top as Roy no. obviously is. He's essentially almost like a 40-year-old neighbour who's basically like telling, don't be coming around my house I think, or I'll chase you off. I think with the wrong casting the here, that scene would be funny. Sorry? I think with the wrong yes, casting, that yeah. scene would be funny because it's it's quirky as it is. And my issue... Did you like Split when we watched that? Um... I didn't hate it like you did. I know you yeah. didn't particularly like it. I actually, I quite enjoyed it. I've watched, I watched all three of those films. I quite enjoyed them. But I, I liked I see it. You cruising. I liked it until it got supernatural. And yeah, my thing yeah, here is it, it toes the line nicely. And I liked it. I understand the twist and going to another place. This still felt like I was in the same film. Whereas with Split, I felt like I had one film. And then I had another film from that point on. Yeah, more fantasy, isn't it? Though? Yeah, and this this did it this did it really well. That where Vale is um, 
prodding him beforehand to get him to this point where he's like, you did it. You fucking did it, didn't you? You <laughs> He's reeling it off like bar for bar. It's like Rex in Sex Drive when he's in the car. He's like, you love it, don't you? Yeah, you, know, like, you love yeah. it. And I was watching it yesterday. This reminds me of something. I can't think what it is. And then it clicked in my head and I thought, but maybe what they intended, one of them would be far more flattered with the comparison than the other. James Marsden, I'm sure, would be far happier. I strangely also thought of uh, Vince in Wedding Crashes. Like, yeah. you did it, you fucking motorbike. <laughs> you motorbike, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they built for speed or comfort. <laughs> when Roy shoves him into the wall, Gear's shocked reaction is genuine because that's another ad lib by Norton. He didn't, that wasn't in the script. He wasn't supposed to do that. This guy can't miss. Yeah. The slow clap at the end also wasn't in the script. I knew that actually. Yeah. yeah now that is magic. That I think would have hit harder for me at the time because we, we've got that a lot since the slow clap. Like that's hmm. something that we've kind of got now. I, if that's an original thing that, that I still Norton's think done. his is probably the most effective I've oh, seen. Oh, for sure. Even, yeah. You're just the camera panning to, because you sort of think, well, is he going to try and lie still here? So when Marty knows, obviously, like, yeah. do you think, is he going to try and do the stand, whatever? And obviously with the camera just showing his hands first, at the first moment he breaks, and then the clap is like, oh, it's, it's just perfect. Yeah. We in When Roy comes out for the first time, we've got him confessing, killing the Archbishop and Linda. <laughs> Everybody had a piece of her, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and... I told you at the time, I knew there was a twist in this film, which is always make or break that could potentially spoil it. Once the split personality thing came out, I relaxed then because I thought that was the twist. This is the twist I wasn't supposed to know about. It was perfect. I remember you messaging me. I think you were maybe thinking along the lines of split. Yeah. Because you messaged saying, oh, I hate that this is the twist. You said, I hate this is the thing. And I was thinking, you still must have a bit to go in the film. I just won't message because I can't go oh no, you've still got a bit to go and that would have ruined it in its own way. Yeah, and then, I mean, I've got a whole thing about the courtroom because contender for maybe the worst judge ever. She just doesn't give a fuck. She just wants to get out. I think I finally came full circle. I think I've told the story on here before of when I was told off in a courtroom on my work experience. Yeah. she comes in with an iced tea yeah. for the courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was looking at judging her and I thought, being told off for a blue Powerade now finally makes sense to me because for years I've... What was the problem? Yeah, it was like, I'm at the back here. I'm in a sip from my drink. <laughs> Get off me. Then I saw, I'm not. it's an iced iced tea. So she's well prepared here. You're coming for a day out. This is a murder. This, they're asking yeah. for the death penalty. That's the other yeah. thing. This isn't like a minor dispute here. This is massively serious. And she just wants to butcher the two lawyers and get home. Like, but when she does the uh, sentence at the end, she's like, I've had a long few days. I just want to get home. So, like, oh, brilliant. Don't worry about what's actually happening then. I would like to be a lawyer for a day just to see how many times I could get away with yelling objection because it's a real piss boiler when you're watching a film and people yell it at the guy you're cheering for and you hear like upheld or whatever, yeah, whatever it is. You're like, what do you mean? How is that? What's wrong? What's wrong with saying that? And in this one and a few good men as well, the judges seem like 
they do a great job of building up your angst and anger and getting you on side with the people that maybe you shouldn't be on side with by the end of the film. Yeah. Because you're like, just give them a break. Yeah, yeah. Let, let them do their thing. Let it's, them like, talk. It, it's like one that probably is fair, but at 1-0 down, you feel the referee is, if you didn't think he was against you before, he definitely yes. is now. Yeah. And these films are like, are you seeing this? What's he get, how's he getting away with this? Um, Half of Martin's testimonies get thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, we're just going to be scrapped from the record or what? <laughs> I, I never know how that works either. Like, if I was a juror... No, but that's that's it though. That's where Marty's playing it to perfection because yeah. he knows officially this is off the this is now has to be wiped. But that's still in their minds. Yeah. All he has to do is get it out there in front of them and that's still in their heads. Um I also found out that you can change your plea right up to sentencing. So the whole thing here that they can't do the insanity thing because they've already put their plea in is a myth. Like you can change your, you can change your plea. Apparently so. Okay. But well, it's it's film, so it'll it'll work to the best. I remember reading years ago that like a silencer for a gun like wasn't a real thing, like not to the extent it is in films. And the films have just lied to us this whole time that assassin can just go around. It was like, why did why did not everyone just have a silencer yeah, on their yeah, gun at all yeah, times? Yeah. Um, Vale manipulating the evidence they brought in when he gets to say uh, <laughs> that was the Panero cocksucker. When, he, when he's at the front. <laughs> Go on, my man. That was for the my friend who's a mobster that you killed. <laughs> he just wanted that hospital built. <laughs> it takes a while to get into the courtroom properly, but once we're in, it is very good. Yeah, they dial it up, don't they? As for bringing out Roy at the end, you could see it coming and it was still good. Would you? I don't know if you can get away with the covering up of the mics when you think what he's been told off for before him covering up the mic and saying, well, like, I thought you were a man. And so <laughs> there's the judge. Like, what? What's going on here? <laughs> trying to tell Aaron or Roy, he's like, Look, whatever he just said, just ignore yeah. it. Like, just ignore it. I enjoy when they quote some like mental case from whenever in history and everyone in the court just takes it at face value. And yeah. they're like, they do it in Good War Hunting and he quotes the Declaration of Independence as a way to like get off the trial. <laughs> Everyone just sort of nods their heads like, oh, okay, well, fair enough. If he brings it well, that's that. Yeah, he's always kind of like, you got me. So yeah. when he's saying, you can't do that for your plea and he's like, well, actually, I think you can. Is the judge supposed to be just giving it a shot and just hoping for the best? And the judge just looks at watch afterwards and yeah, okay, I'll go with it. Um, That one moment in the courtroom where... Venable starts saying like, well, if that happened to me, then I'd have also stabbed him 78 times. Then I'd have cut his eyes out. You maybe don't say this yeah. if you're trying to win the case. If yeah. like, my lawyer starts saying that, stop. I think you stop. might be on trial now, love. Yeah. No further questions, Your Honour. And then he says, where the fuck do you think you're going? Like, Roy, he's back. Let's play rough, which I didn't clock he said first time yeah. around. He's like, he's got his catchphrases. Security a little bit lax. He gets, <laughs> gets to about too many problems. And when they go back to the judge's chambers, Fails dancing with Venable at the end of it, and it feels like a happy ending for everyone at that point. So I've, I've got my twist. Aaron, look, the guy we're supposed to be cheering for has got off. We've defeated these villains. You kind of just, I'm expecting him to go in and say to Aaron, you know, I'm probably not going to see you again, but thank you for everything you've done for me. And that's the, yeah, you think that's a story, but he's basically, Richard Gere's almost come of age because he's realised, like, 
like you said, the first guy he's opened up for, and he seems to genuinely want to win it for him yeah. and to save his life. Uh, and it's kind of the first, I guess, innocent intention that Richard Gere seems to have demonstrated in this. Uh, and then obviously it shifts very, very quickly. The moment I maybe thought something more was up, um, because the ending is it's an incredible scene. Um, there's a point that just sums up Vale's character and you see it hasn't changed at all. And Aaron says to him, I knew the minute you walked into my cell, everything would be okay. You saved my life. And Vale does this kind of like wry smiley nods to himself like, I really did, didn't I? <laughs> I did do that. And Aaron, whether he's smiling at, you know, he's still in character at that stage or if he's looking, because he says, doesn't he? Oh, look, I didn't want to, I saw the look on your face. I didn't know when to tell you, but I hope you'd work it out for yourself and so on and so on. As we said, when he's, Mr. Vale, would you please tell Miss Venable that I'm sorry, I hope her neck's okay. And I think just to remind you, so everyone, so that doesn't go over anyone's head two minutes before he said, so you don't remember anything that's just happened? Yeah. Yeah, just in case you weren't sure. So that's why the one of the reviews I think said there's a bit of hand holding, but no real complaints with that. Gets us to where we need to be. I think yeah, I think you have to. I still think you have to. Just for the uh, yeah, slow remembrance of the audience. Yeah, and the right balance that Norton has here is just chilled out. He's won. He knows there there's really nothing that can happen. Um He's not the sergeant general that he is in the scene where Roy's revealed for the first time. And I like that they also answer all the questions that someone would leave a theatre asking. So when he says, so there was never a Roy, just getting these little things out, basically. I was thinking with that. Like, are they, I know he's supposed to be the loser of this, and he is. But like, do they have to make him look a total idiot at this point? Because, you know, when he goes, there never was an Aaron. So, well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. Because it, on a very basic level, Aaron's the good guy, Roy's the bad guy. He's just revealed himself to be a bad guy. So obviously he's, yeah, he's Roy. Yeah. And when he said there never was an Aaron, I was like, oh, no, no, obviously there wasn't. Yeah, and then it very much is maybe a comparison to the colour of money, actually, to go to come around full circle. One of the games of Paul he's having, the guy, every time he nails a shot, he's going, this just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? This is, you must really want to be anywhere but here. <laughs> when Roy is really rubbing it in, he goes, we were dancing, Martin. We did it, man. We're a great team. He's like, I, I know you, baby, don't feel so great right now, but come on. It's it's so good. It's like a it's like a wrestling promo. It's Yeah, it's, so that heel turn is yeah. perfect. A lot of people don't know this. That's actually what I say to you after we've done a great pod. <laughs> I knew exactly what you wanted from me there. It's like we were dancing. Some of the alternate versions age like milk when you know how well this went down. So according to the Blu-ray behind the scenes info, a set a second ending was considered during which Marty would get Aaron slash Roy back into court and justice would be done, vindicating him. The idea was scrapped in favour of what we get. Another suggestion was that Gear maybe had some suspicions and he was going to do the old school. He was going to have a recorder in his pocket, which would have been horrible. Yeah, You can't, like, undo the twist kind of thing. No, no, no. I like that there's not even... We don't get another word out of Vale. Like, 
if if I could make any change to seven, the second Spacey gets killed in the film, I want to see Brad Pitt taken away, maybe see the head on the floor or something, he's still got a smile on his face or something like that. Morgan Freeman gives us his little epilogue. I'm, we don't get any mice in, you know, I lost that one, but what can I do? Um, I learnt my lesson, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's surprising you don't get a little uh, speech from him or something in the in the sort of end credits, isn't it? You see him what, walk Good. out, he walks out walks to the, the road. Door. Yeah, and then just kind of goes, <sighs> yeah. and just, that's it. And I think that's the shot we get on the poster. So. All on his own, yeah. Burnt, the first time he uh, played it straight, he got burnt. Next case he goes into, how does he now only do this for people he cares about he makes sure he doesn't represent anyone bad. He has to totally believe them and so on. Or is he now even more cynical than he was Does before? he learn a lesson or does he become a total bastard? He becomes a total bastard, Yeah, he? I think For so sure. too. I mean, whether he even goes back in, he's a shot fighter now. Yeah. He takes that yeah. clean one on the chin. I'm not sure he can do it again. According to the Blu-ray information again, the original rough cut of the film ran for three hours and 15 minutes including some more detailed exposition of Aaron's small-town country life and discussions with his former junior high school teacher. The scenes were cut partly for running time and partly to avoid the producers tipping their hand and alerting the audience to the ultimate ending. Why was that ever considered? Yeah, bizarre, isn't it? It's like they're just trying to do too much at that stage because I feel like maybe you have your doubts. I think you may be a test screening of five people. And I think you've got your answer yeah, at that yeah, stage. Yeah. Gear says, like, it tested really well. And he right. says, so the premiere, really, they just invite all their family and friends because there's no pressure. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time Gear sees it with an audience. I know Norton was able to hang around for a lot of the editing process. And so they say part of the reason he maybe doesn't get the roles that he wants later on is that it's a whole thing with him. He's involved. He wants too in, much involvement. Yeah, he's involved in this this screenplay, and he's involved in the editing. But it's because after this film, everyone's well, desperate to have him. Yeah, yeah. American History X, and we had it. So I think he's doing rounders when he signs on for American History X or something like that. Okay. But there's a story on one of the films we did with with Norton, and the director is like coming around his house to pitch the film and say, look we need you to do this film. And that's one film into his career. So it's easy when it's been set that high. We've got a lot of sports analogies today, but like Deli Alley is not going to go and play for a league one side now because he'd rather sit out. But like he's experienced the top level. Like, why am I going to do anything else? I feel like Ed Norton as well. People talk about him almost like, uh, why isn't he in more films? And maybe underachieved is a, big term to say but because of the run of films he reels off just after this and then you think what's he going to do after that and there's a bit of a mixed bag but you look at the films he's done and the work he's done this could easily have been like that first album that the band is chasing forever afterwards where they they're a good band but they can never match that first album again whereas he obviously reels off some films that are just unbelievable I thought he was one of the highlights of Asteroid City yeah yeah he was did you like him in Knives Out too? Uh, I think we might have the same. Yeah, <laughs> the same take here. I I don't know. I think I guess he kind of played that role well. I didn't think they give him an awful lot. For, it could have been more expansive. But I didn't like that as much as the first film. So no. I think that maybe coloured my entire opinion of it. 
if we were to loop right back around to a question I asked at the start of the episode, I feel that if I said to you, who's had the better career, Ed Norton or Matt Damon, I feel like I know what your answer would be. Damon? Yeah. 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 And I know whose film, to be fair. I, these are rewatchable to an extent. It doesn't have... Rounders is the easiest watch, I think. He's got the, the rest of them as a, as a heavy night in. Yeah, exactly that. You don't need to be watching some of them too much. But that's, that's kind of the skill of Damon, isn't it? Is that he can... He's got films where you go, easy watch, rewatch, iconic, and he can do the more serious and sort of make you think about it once as well. Whereas maybe Ed Norton's best stuff is some really quite dark and difficult material sometimes. I had... I was looking on the um, YouTube analytics the other day because the videos kind of go through peaks. Like anytime there's some John Wick's news out there, like the video kind of gets bumped up and I can see the source of where the hits mainly come from. And so Reddit was a big one that in the last 28 days it's come from. Mm -hmm. So I thought, who's posted this on Reddit? Like where can I find out where people have been talking? Give us a bit of a boost. I want to just see people are saying nice things, hopefully. I searched Reddit spitballing pot First hit, Matt Damon asked me anything. And I thought, has Matt Damon been asked about the <laughs> something from a podcast we've done? And I thought, we did the Eurotrip interview. Has something been used or something? Right. Unfortunately, no. No. But for a br- very brief time, I thought Matt yeah, Damon so. knew me, you, and Keenan, <laughs> or at least knew the name of the pod, but... No, yeah, it would know. have been him butchering us. I was like, I can't believe they yeah. fucking said that's bullshit. <laughs> oh, I'd have taken that from Yeah, from yeah. So I don't know the post, but hopefully it's a nice one that's out there. Says a lot with Richard Gere to be... He's very much a movie star, isn't he? And yeah. so Ed Norton, I think we would say about the level of talent that he has and... He is someone that right through, we did American History X, I think you were on that one with me and Keenan. Yeah. And Adam Sandler is Adam Sandler in a film and we like him for doing that. Ed Norton is Aaron Stampler or whoever he is every single time. When your roles have been so iconic, you shouldn't be able to blend into another one with the ease that he does. No. And with Gear being the superstar that he was, the 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 level of I don't know the word, but to allow yourself to act with someone there's a humility to it, isn't that, it? That's so the word. That yeah, you can- to take someone on like this, their first motion picture role, mm. and to accept them as your equal, to take the improvisations that they're putting in on board. To so he's promoting that basically he should be more of a star, isn't it? Because he's going no, it's about me and this character rather than me and Laura Lynn's character. It's yes. Yeah, sensational from him uh, I knowing the the brief bit that I do of their I can't see them spending too much time to, I can't see them sitting around a coffee table together and no. gelling like that and so there's maybe even more impressive that they still make that work but I know it's just it's, it's very cool I don't know how often we would we would see that very rarely you think the ego that you're going to have if you're the, the star I just don't so you're we, getting top billing, and as a result, you need to be getting. You need to, certainly you need to win the movie. Yeah, it's it's weird how many times it does go from a lot. 
how do you get from we want Leo DiCaprio to we want this guy that's never been in a film before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like someone has to have a like word that. along that way and say, well, the, the thing that was with The Hangover, wasn't it? They wanted a whole cast of Megasars. That didn't work. And they said, okay, let's basically take these like in-betweeners yeah. and we'll see if that works. Which we know it works, but it certainly did work. Let's get on to the awards. So MVP of the film. Yeah, it's Ed Norton, Aaron, whichever. Yeah. Well, this next question star of the film. So that's, I've yeah. got I've got Roy slash Aaron and Ed Norton as the first two answers. Yes, absolutely. Best moment slash scene? The ending. The, the yeah. twist is pretty hard to argue with, isn't it? I think each time you see Roy come out, it feels like a highlight. What was the best quote for you? Few choices, isn't there? Allegedly, him just using allegedly constantly <laughs> was hilarious throughout. Uh, I was thinking that saved us on early news of the week. Just saying that about some yeah. of the wildest things. <laughs> um, it was a one night stand. My it just went on for six months. Is a great line from Laura Linney. Uh, I love the the audacity of Marty going uh, in the interview before he goes into the court. He's going. The victim here is my client. We don't have a suspect here, just two victims. Great slimeball stuff. Um, what did you think of his two, um, his little team, by the way? Not really spoken about them. So, like you said, I was struck by feel for them because they've told him this is a stupid idea and then they just get barked at because they're not supporting this stupid idea. I was mainly struck by, they're sat in an office early on and his investigator, who I don't even know if you, you're told he's the investigator at this point, is just sat there with a gun holster. Like, you're sat in a law office. I don't understand. Why Why is he sat there with a gun? <laughs> it just makes no sense. At this point, you've offered no explanation as to why he'd be there. It's like having a, a cop in the middle of the in the middle of the office. Really odd. Um, if you said no wasted characters, they were probably the closest. Yeah. They didn't really flesh them out. Yeah, more, but that's, more but he was funny, though. The, is it Thomas Goodman, I think, is he called? Yeah. He, He's got some good, probably the only comedy moments of the film. That's more to any post liar liar as well. It's it's weird that she's kind of in such a subdued mm. role. She's kind of got a couple of lines and then she's just there, really. I think um, pretty much anything Aaron says in that last sort of soliloquy he has is great. We've obviously yeah. touched on some of it, but uh, another one for the pod, if you come out of a disappointing take, Jesus Christ, Mark, if that's what you think, I'm disappointed <laughs> in you. I don't mind telling you. I think I would change mine to we were dancing because that, that is, is yeah. the pitch in which he says it. Like, we were dancing, Marty. <laughs> the the first time uh, they meet when he says, um, and you're from Kentucky? And he's like, does it still on my file? And he's he's really pleased with himself after that, to say <laughs> that. Would you write, these are new categories for this week. Okay. Would you rather add Brendan Fraser, Miles Teller or Bill Murray to this movie? And that it's tougher each time to get three that are similar in a way but also a difficult choice yeah I mean because Miles Teller would have to go in and be Aaron or Roy presumably I've broken my own rules here because I couldn't take either of them out I've gone I said give me Miles Teller as the journalist we'll try and do something Uh, more with that role okay I was thinking it had to be a main role in which case I guess Brendan Fraser as as Marty I, what, what such about, a lo- nice guy could you what about um, could he be like a slime ball Bill Murray is Shaughnessy yeah 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 alright 
Yeah, I didn't realise we were going to be able to do it with side characters for... Um, would you rather add Emma Stone, Molly Ringwald, or Julianne Moore? We usually take someone here and we try and give their career a boost. So Molly Ringwald is the recipient this time. Complete coincidence I've just chosen three redheads as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, to piggyback on what you've just done, you can easily put one of them in his assistance role yeah. and flesh that character out a bit. I've... Maybe Molly Ringwald in... Um... More teenage role, okay, yeah. or Venable, okay. I don't know how her age really makes no sense to me. Is when I try and like because work it out. yeah, because obviously when you've seen her in films, you know, I've kind of just not been checking for her since she wasn't playing like yeah, exactly a seventeen year old anymore. Yeah, yeah, I think she's maybe unknown enough. But can you put her in as more teenage role if I have to do it? Someone higher than. Probably would be Emma Stone in in Laura Linney's role. I don't know if she's confident enough, actually. Who played opposite gear? Might have to be Julianne Moore. Yeah. If you had to make a spin-off movie about a side character from this film, who would it be about? Uh, I think I'm doing it about his investigation about Thomas Goodman. Okay. It's just if he's dumb enough that in a court. He doesn't really know how to use the term allegedly. I think there's something there. There's something I can find here. I'm going my guy Pinero. Stephen Bauer, we're getting him some uh, getting him some more work. In the gift shop based around this film, what's the highest selling item? I don't know if you've done one of these where you've had to answer that before. Yeah, I've, the Breakfast Club one. Laurel in his pack of cigarettes. Okay. <laughs> so they're just insistent on bringing that out at any given point. Now, I didn't get a good enough look at Linda to know about that VHS, so I've... <laughs> I've gone away from that one. So I'm, I'm really unsure with this. Um, I usually go for an item of clothing and nothing stands out here. I've, Goodman's gun holster. It's just incredible. <laughs> I can't get over it. Just sat in an office. With I was looking at the t-shirt that um, Aaron's got on in prison. Like, can I do something with that? I'm not sure. Maybe uh, we just sell suits in the in the on the way out. Gear style. Yeah, something tells me... Uh, Everyone's not going to quite look like Richard Gere. No. Put those suits on. Got a feeling. No, I was, the first day the Arsenal kit came out last uh, last season. We were there on the final day, and my uncle had said he wasn't a fan of it really before. And then we saw on the side where you see all the players, and he's like, "It's not that bad actually." And I was like, "We probably won't look like them white <laughs> when we wear when we wear this." <laughs> Would this be better being remade as a Black Mirror episode, an addition to the MCU, or the Nice Guys 2? These two hooking up in the Nice Guys 2 would be mad. Gosling, um, Gosling solving the case with Norton there. <laughs> when he's, when he's, if he'd probably walk in the room, he's just flipped on Crow, and he would walk in and he'd be like, Is this? Where's Aaron? <laughs> Start shaking hands up. Nice to meet you, Roy. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's, it's a Black Mirror episode, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. All over. Well, that. The, uh, I was thinking with this that one of the other things that really makes this as well is watching it through a modern lens. Because if you did stumble upon this film now, because you could never now make a film in which someone fakes a mental illness to get away with a murder, <laughs> yeah. you just couldn't do that. That kind of helps, doesn't it? Because I guess you, the, the twist probably hits you doubly. So I kind yeah. of almost like almost envy that if I could wipe my memory and go and watch this. 
I still can't believe that The Ringer was an actual film that was made. And for those, this is yeah. where Johnny Knoxville pretends to be disabled so he can go to the Paralympics, <laughs> Special Olympics, which is something very different, I believe. Mm. Yeah, wild. Catherine Heigl's in that as well. And she was ashamed of Knocked Up. <laughs> she considers Knocked Up below <laughs> that. I did. I know it's it's not. There's no real way in which this is, but just out of curiosity, is there any part of you that thought potentially that Aaron lets this slip by mistake that he grabbed her neck? I because he plays everything so perfectly. Is that just a slip up at the end? I have, is there any possibility, or is it just well? That's a it's a it's a great point you've raised because I was going to ask how much of this was the plan all along. And that's so it's much along the same lines. I think he's a bit too happy to tell him that I do think he wanted to. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But then I don't know if it was like, is it right from when he's picked up on the street that he's just this insatiable killer already? Is it where does he at the time of killing him have the idea, but he says, but then I had to get caught. So does he just think immediately on his feet? Like the second he's caught, when he says there's a third man in the room. And he's just off. He just knows already that's what I'm going to go for. And did he know Marty would jump on? Did he know immediately Marty will see this and he'll be on board? Has he already known this famous lawyer? Because I think... He'll follow my case. The reason... It's it's kind of prison break style. A lot of things have fallen in your lap here. Yeah. Even if you are smart. The reason... I forget his name. Is it Alex? The reason we can't have the other altar boy on the scene is because all they'd have to do is ask, what do you like normally? Yeah. but then yeah, yeah, yeah. is the fact that shit. he was so scared of him and that's why he's trying to get rid of the tape and all of this does that tie in that he has been this psychopath all along I guess that kind of warns you doesn't it yeah but then I guess a guy would be if he has a split personality well, yeah, maybe he's, he would he's involved he's, sure. he's also in, involved on the tape so you'd see why he doesn't want that tape yeah I was there. I was obviously I'm sure everyone is of the opinion that he's done he's let this slip on purpose because he needs to tell he can't help himself. It's kind of like if I've won a sneaky bet, I kind of think, should I not say anything? You just can't help yourself. You just get a little smirk and you go, yeah, I've got to tell someone. I put a bet on and I'm like, should I put that in it? No, this would be great if it wins and I can just post it after. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I think it's not the plan until it has to be the plan because cause he's obviously got away with killing Linda already. Because he says, doesn't he? Does he really offer much, much explanation as to why she, he had to kill her? So he basically... So... Because he doesn't really... Well, because everyone had to go. Um, yeah. So, and then he says, and then the Archbishop, that was just fun, basically. You can see why he killed the Archbishop. That makes some level of sense. Just he seems sort of to like, say oh. that that wasn't the one that he had to do. Linda was the one he had to do. They just sneak in her surname just out of nowhere. And we're, oh, Linda Forbes. Because when I got to the end of it the first time, I thought, have... Have we We've ever been seen told her outside of no that tape? No. But no, he's already he's already off her. And the the fact that one just gets left by the wayside. Yeah, they don't really care about this girl. Who's, you know, probably more innocent than this archbishop. Certainly, that even that though is the um, as you said about him getting caught. Even that is part of this. Kind of almost gets the hairs on your next standing up. Where he goes, you are really really good, and then I noticed, well. I did get caught though, didn't I? Yeah. But that's incredible sort of manoeuvring out of a situation because he kind of, I guess he's admitted there, well, yeah. look, in the perfect world, I would have got away. Yeah. But 
he's made the best of that situation and had them all on strings for the whole film. Insane. Yeah. Surprised that there wasn't enough money out there where someone got a bag chucked at them for Primal Fear 2. I don't I'm glad it didn't. No, but and are you surprised that wasn't a... F- it has to have been offered at least. Yeah, probably 10, 15 years later. Norton's- if this comes out, then they definitely do a sequel because everything's not getting a sequel. This is a good standalone though, isn't it? Yeah, I have to... It's probably harder to get Norton at that stage then than it would have been Gear by the time the mm. sequel would have been put in the works. He's almost immediately in, like, what, a year, within a year and a half, he's doing American History X, which is then he's on another stratosphere. Nobody needs an Aaron slash Roy universe, I don't think. No, no. What does, uh, what does Aaron do after this? Gets out in 30 days, which is incredibly good. Out of two murders and he's out in a month. What does he do after this? Well, I don't... I don't strike him as someone that has a compulsion for doing this. So I think he could quite easily get a nine to five, just live life for as long as he needs to until he maybe has to do it again. And then I don't see that he's going to come out and he's going to be on a spree. And with how clever he is, he probably now knows that there's going to be a few more eyes on him. So I like the idea that he got away with it. He pats himself on the back and he says, maybe writes to, Veil every so often to taunt him, and yeah, he almost certainly does that. Doesn't yeah, he? I think uh, when you've won a bet that big, I don't think you step away from the table. I think he's you, he's going back. See, I'm when when I win a big bet, I I I withdraw it within seconds. I'm like, because I I want that number that hits my bank. I want that to feel better. This guy, I, I in fact, I I withdraw it, and then I'm sooner. If I'm going to put another bet on, I'm sooner to withdraw it and then deposit another five or after. Very disciplined. Just because I, I want that high figure when I see it. <laughs> but on that note, thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. As I said, we'll be back next week with Air. See you then. Goodbye.